Welcome to the Vineyard Cincinnati podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our weekend services. To subscribe to our podcast or listen to other messages, go to vineyardcincinnati.com slash podcast. Hello, Vineyard family. Good morning, good morning. My name is Beth Guggenberger, and I'm part of the teaching team. I know that's so encouraging. Thank you, guys. Oh, I was just thinking um, before we jump into the Unleashed series that this is back to school week for so many people. And I wanted to start with a little opportunity for us to just pray. Some of you are sending kindergartners off to school for the first time, and a couple of you might be new to the area and are sending kids to buildings where they don't know anyone. Maybe you're sending a high schooler for the first time. I'm sending my youngest son off to college this week. Like, so maybe some of you are teachers. Like, it's, it's a week of transition, and I just thought here among God's family here in God's house, we would say a prayer for those transitions happening all around us. And I was remembering, uh, I have two kids. My oldest son and my uh, daughter went to college at the same time. They're the same age. And my son went early a couple of weeks because he was playing football for the university. And we've been talking about it like his whole senior year. He was going off to college. And then we talked about it all summer. He was going off to college. And the day that we were to take him, it was an all-day event. They had like football picnic and meet the program and talk to the coaches. And we were there all day. I knew how the day was going to end. But somehow in the middle of the afternoon, when the head football coach started talking the way head football coaches do, like, okay, hey, freshmen, we'll see you in the locker room in 15 minutes. Freshman families, let's huddle up and say goodbye to them. And I was like, what are you talking about? I have to leave right now? Like, I don't, I'm not ready to say goodbye. And I turned around to my son, and I punched him in the chest. And then I said, bleepity bleep, Evan, I am not ready to leave you yet. And that young man had never heard me curse in 18 years of his life. So he whipped his little head around to look at his dad, like, what is going on with mom? And he saw his dad was crying. And in 18 years, he'd never really seen that before. So I now know after we left, he called his sister, like, college is going to be way worse than we thought because mom is cussing and dad is crying. <laughs> like, so I, I don't know if you are, uh, you know, cussing or crying this week, but let's, uh, let's just say a prayer for our families. Would you join me? Uh, Jesus, thank you so much for who you are, and how you know everything that's happened, everything that is in real time, and everything yet to come. Would you help our kids find places and relationships? Would you give them boldness to be salt and light? Would you help them to find people they can look across a classroom or a lunchroom and meet eyes and find fellowship with? Whatever it is, Lord, that you have designed, I just I pray that you help us be present in this little season of transition. And I pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, I'm so glad to be in the Unleashed series. I have really enjoyed this study through the book of Acts. I've been loving, especially the last couple of weeks, this go and tell kind of emphasis. Last week, Matt talked to us about how we're not human doings but we're human beings and so hear me loud and clear that God loves us more than he wants to use us however we're going to talk about what it looks like to be used by God today I was this week I was talking to a new mom working mom and she was having something we call like mom guilt and she was asking me like like what should I do And then I was talking to a new recent college grad who for the first time is going to be able to make choices about his own life and destiny. And he was asking me, like, what what should I do? 
And then my husband Todd and I were talking to this, this couple who are freshly empty nesting, and they were asking us, like, like, what should we do now? And I don't know if you've asked this question this last week or if somebody has asked this question in your presence, but this is what we're going to wrestle with today. How do we hear from God? How do we know what it is that we should do? By the end of Acts, which we're getting to the, t- towards the end of Acts, we now know that this gospel of grace is spreading all around the world. And, and as Matt taught last week, Paul, who's the principal character we've been studying, he, he's being shaped by, God's, by God in his direction. And today our passage is going to be in, in Acts chapter 22. And he's going to be sharing his testimony in Jerusalem to a primarily Jewish audience. And I've been saying lately that I think we should have a bank of testimonies. And some of those testimonies should be our own. Things that God has done in our lives, healed us and changed us and moved us and provided for us. And we should share those testimonies liberally. And then sometimes we have testimonies that we're borrowing from other people. They're telling us what God has done in their life and we stick it in our bank of testimonies. So that in moments when we need that kind of faith, we can withdraw from it. So today, we're going to hear Paul's testimony, how he came to know that Jesus was Lord. And as we read this passage, I want to say right off the bat, Scripture is not just meant to be heard. It is not just meant to be understood in our brains. It is literally meant to be metabolized. The Bible tells us things like it divides our bone and marrow, right? That that we're to consume it inside of us. Like, I I want us, as we read this passage, to not just hear it, but to ask the Lord in the midst of it, what do you have for me? What are you saying to me? What's this going to mean for my life to understand this in a new way? Read with me in Acts chapter 22. It says, then Paul said, I am a Jew. He's talking to his fellow Jews. I was born in Tarsus, but brought up in this city, Jerusalem. I studied under Gamaliel. This name means nothing to you. This is like the most famous rabbi of all time, pretty much. I mean, aside from Jesus. Like, he, he, he's like the Einstein of. So he's giving us a little bit of his pedigree when he throws around this name. And I was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted followers of this way, this New Testament Jesus-y kind. He's talking about the Christians. I, I persecuted them to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them. This is like spycraft, right? Uh, to their associates in Damascus. And I was going there. I went there to bring those people as prisoners back to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, I came near Damascus, and suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, which was Paul's name at that point, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? He he knew God. He just didn't know Jesus. He knew God was talking to him, but he didn't know Jesus. Who are you? The answer came, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? That is the right question, by the way, if God starts talking to you. What what shall I do, right? The Lord said, get up and go into Damascus. That's where he assigned Paul to go. But he says those things to us all the time, get up and go. 
There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. God has holy assignments for us. He has good works prepared in advance for us. He wants to co-labor with us. He doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. Remember, he loves us more than he uses us, but he engages us in his work. And as he calls Paul to himself, he says, get up and go. And these two questions, who are you, Lord, and what shall I do, they're still relevant to us today. And as soon as Paul understood who Jesus was, he wanted commissioned. And what's the commission? It's going to be listen and obey, even if it doesn't make any sense. In this case, he told Paul to get up and go to Damascus. In your case, he might say, get up and give, get up and sacrifice, get up and forgive someone, get up and speak up, get up and go somewhere else. Like, what's he going to say to you? I promise he's talking to you. He's a commissioning kind of God. He has things he wants to say to us. And I realize I'm not sure I've shared with some of you what my own commissioning story looked like. The reason I want to share it is because I want you to hear when you hear God tell you to get up and do something, you might still have a whole bunch of questions. You might think you're not ready for what he just asked you to do, this holy assignment he has for you. That's actually kind of his fingerprint. If you think, I still have a bunch of questions, I don't have it all figured out, and I don't know quite how I'm going to do it or what it's going to look like, you're probably right on the right track. That's, that's what it looks like. For me, my husband and I were teachers, and in the mid-90s, we had our summers free. We were volunteering in a local church in Mason. We took high school kids on mission trips. And one of those summers, the summer of 96, we were partnering with the church in Mexico and we brought 25 high school kids there and we were painting a wall around the church from blue to green, which is kind of okay, except for the year before we'd painted it from green to blue. And I was tired of our paint project and I was complaining to my husband, don't make me do this on our last day here. Surely God has something else is going on in the city that we can join him in. And my husband looked over at me, he's like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm, do you think there's any orphanages in the city? And I had no idea, but I was dying to find out. So don't miss this detail. We left our students in the hands of very responsible adults. But then we jumped into a taxi cab, and I just said the word orphan with a Spanish accent, like El Orfano, El Orfanorio, <laughs> El Orfanatorio. The cab driver figured out what I wanted, and he took us to an orphanage, and he left us there because that's what cab drivers do. And I said to Todd, do you have enough pesos to pay somebody to take us back? And what was the name of the street that church was on? And if these people answer the door, what are we going to say? You can be in the middle of a holy assignment and not have answers to your questions. But God gives us a gift the Bible calls the peace that passes all understanding. And as soon as it fell on us, I shoved Todd in front of us because he'd had a few years of high school Spanish and I knocked on the door. And this person answered the door and as we told him our resources, we had 25 kids, $200, and one complete day on our trip. What would he do with that if he could have them? He said to us, well... The front window's broken, and you, we haven't had meat here for over a year. And I said, we'll be back tomorrow. And the next day, we brought a window and enough hamburger meat to feed those 50 kids what we hoped would be for the rest of the year. And Todd went off to fix the window, and I set up behind a griddle, and I had no system for, like, who had eaten, how many they'd eaten, has anybody not eaten yet. Just kids were coming to the griddle, and I was giving them food as fast as they came. And Todd finished with the window, and he pointed out this little preschooler to me, and he said, do you see that little girl? And I said, I can't keep my eyes off her. She's so cute. He's like, well, you took your eyes off her a few times because she's been in your line like five times. And I don't know any preschooler who can eat that much. And so the next time she came up for a burger, I followed her. And we got up into her dorm room, and I could see from the door frame that she and her preschool buddies were helping each other lift up each other's mattresses, and they were sticking those burgers underneath them. 
And I, I called Todd over to that door frame, and there we had this conversation about, surely there are people who would buy Orphan's hamburgers if they just knew how to get them here. And I want you to hear that I started to feel a commission, but I didn't know what to do. Like, oh, how do you do that? The next day, my life looked exactly the same. I came back here to this city and lived exactly like I had prior to that experience. But we decided something was shifting in us and we wanted to be ready for whatever it was that God was going to ask us to do. So in that season, we were double income, no kids. So we just lived off of one income and put the other in a bank. At the end of that school year, we thought we were sitting on a treasure. It was one year of a teaching salary, so you know how big my treasure was. But we decided we were gonna take that treasure and move to Mexico and just see what God was going to do with our lives. Like we'll learn the language and build relationships and understand the culture of the hurt child. And this is before the internet. So I went over to Joseph Beth bookstore and I bought a book about how to move to another country. And it said to take with me uh, bills in small denominations so you can easily exchange them. So I queued up at a bank over in Mainville and told them that I I'd like my entire account withdrawn in cash, preferably small bills. And when you do that, you alert a bank manager. And he came over and said, what are you doing with all your money? And I said, I'm moving to Mexico. And uh, he's like, well, why don't you come back in my office for a minute? And there he talked me into exchanging those for, for traveler's checks. I put those traveler's checks in my backpack. And the next week, we drove three days down to Monterey, Mexico a city we would live in for 15 years. I didn't know that then. Eight days later, eight days into our first year, our cash had run out. And it was time to turn those traveler's checks into pesos. And I went to a bank there and queued up in line. And I began to talk to a, a, a lady behind a glass like window. And I just gave her all my, my traveler's checks because they said over here in Cincinnati, if you give them anywhere around the world, they'll give you back local currency. And she turned around and gave them back to me. I'm like, that didn't work. So I thought maybe she wanted my ID. So I put my ID on top of them and returned them. And that's not what she wanted. And she gave them back. And she began to talk to me in Spanish. So sorry about this. She was like, Tienes que ver tu nombre aquí, por favor. Ponte el nombre ahí en la línea, por favor. That meant nothing to me. I mean, like literally nothing. And so I just kind of irrationally returned them to her. And she was, did what we do when people don't understand us. She got slow and loud. And she gave them right back to me. And I was like, and she's, she starts to say, firma tu nombre en la línea, ponte la nombre allá en la línea, firma la nombre en la línea. And I was like, mm. and so as we were going back and forth, one of the words she was saying kind of stood out to me. And I thought, oh, I've heard that this week. And I asked Todd for pen and paper, and I wrote the word I heard, nombre, on this paper, and I showed it to her. She's like, mm-hmm. And then she points to a line at the bottom of the checks, and I picked up my pen, and on every one of those lines, I wrote the word nombre. <laughs> Of course, she was inviting me, that's name in Spanish, she was inviting me to sign those checks. One of my favorite verses in the whole of the Bible comes from the book of Zechariah, chapter 4, verse 10. And it says, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Jesus did not look at my life and think, oh my gosh, she's going to be a terrible missionary. She cannot even cash a traveler's check. He was looking at my whole life. He knew everything that was going to happen. When he told me to get up and go... He knew what those subsequent chapters would entail. When he called Paul to get up and go, he knew the things he was going to continue to do in Paul's life. He literally loves to use people who are ill-equipped, immature, unlikely, under-resourced. Because then he gets all the credit. 
I mean, really, honestly, when he tells us to get up and go, he's looking for us to do two things. Listen, obey. Be faithful and available. That's it. One of my example, one of my favorite listen and obeyers is Moses, of course. In the book of Exodus, chapter 19, Moses is 80 years old. So in case you've ever heard God tell you to get up and go somewhere, and you're like, Lord, I mean, I think I'm too old now. Or I think I'm too tired. Or I'm too busy. Or I'm not, I mean, like whatever excuse you come up with, picture 80-year-old Moses. He's at the bottom of a mountain that's 6,000 feet tall. And God says to him, Moses, would you come to the top of the mountain? I have something I want to tell you. If I was Moses, I'd be like, hey, if I can hear you tell me to come up, whatever you have to say to me, I can hear from just fine down here. <laughs> I'd like to not walk 6,000 feet. By the way, I'm 80. Moses is a listen and obeyer. He's a faithful and available example to us. And he walks up that mountain. I walked up a mountain just like it over there in Israel. I was half of Moses' age, and I told Todd on our way up, Jesus himself better be at the top of this thing. This is really hard. Moses got to the top, and the Lord said, I'm glad you're here. I have a message I want you to deliver to my people. Would you go down and give it, and then come up and tell me how it went? I'd be saying, hey, you're God. Like, just watch. I'm not coming back up to tell you. But Moses is a faithful and available listen and obeyer. He goes down and delivers God's message. And then it's 80 years old. He walks 6,000 feet up for the second time. He gets to the top of the mountain on the second time. And God says, I'm so glad you're here. I want to talk to Aaron. Could you go down and get him and bring him up? I would have been like, you're God. You've always known you wanted to talk to him. You could have told me that either of the last two times. Moses, of course, just listens and obeys. He gathers Aaron at the bottom and he walks up that mountain for the third time and I just want you to use your imagination and try to picture 80 year old Moses walking up that mountain in, in obedience what would he have needed he would have needed God for every single step and I think that's what God is looking for in the holy assignments he gives us that we would need him for every single step. If you just turn your Bibles a few chapters after that, we're going to read another story about Moses going to the top of the mountain and he's going to come down with the Ten Commandments. And sometimes I can be guilty of wanting a Ten Commandment-sized story and not willing to walk up my mountain three times and training for it. But Paul is going to be in this same story. He's going to be asked to climb a bunch of mountains. And it, it's not going to be easy, but God is shaping him and he is wooing him. A couple of chapters later, Paul's going to be sharing his testimony with a Greek audience. And this time, he's going to say this in Acts chapter 26. Same story. I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. What's that mean, kicking against the goads? Apparently, Johnny Cash wrote a song about it, but God thought about it first. It's a rural image. I like word pictures. They help me remember God's truths in moments when I need it. Paint the word picture in your mind. When a farmer decides to goad their oxen in the field to urge a stubborn ox into motion, it's a slender piece of timber. And when the ox kicks against it, it causes itself injury and pain. Ox goad in Hebrew literally means the thing that teaches Ecclesiastics 12 will say the words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. Their collected sayings are like a nail-studded stick with, 
which a shepherd drives the sheep. When God asked Saul, why is he kicking against the goats? He's telling Saul that, I tried to get your attention. Remember Stephen? We talked about that earlier in this book. I tried to tell you that I was, I, Jesus of Nazareth, was Lord, but you rejected me. And so it's hurt. It's been hurting you. And I don't want you to kick against the goats. And he put him into darkness for three days. He's a communicative God. He's going to talk to us when we're on the wrong path, when he's trying to get our attention. He's going to talk to us. How? How do we, in 2022, hear from God? We hear from his word. We can, we can hear from him through conviction, wise counsel. We can hear from him through uh, prophetic words. We can hear from him through worship. He, he talks to us. He, he lets us know what he wants. And by the way, there's another biblical character that kicked against the goads and also went in darkness for three days. His name is Jonah. Right? God told him where to go, and he didn't do it. And so he also had to go into darkness for three days until he obeyed. And I was thinking to myself when I was putting all this together, I'm like, man, Lord, how many times have I gone in the opposite direction of where I was supposed to go? What does it feel like when I kick against the goads? And I literally hurt myself. Sometimes I blame him or somebody else. We can resist him, but he always ends up wooing us his way because he loves us. And kicking against the goads, this idea that I can resist God's prompting and prodding and directing in my life, it's not just a salvation kind of idea. It, it can happen to me on any given day. Like, I can say, I don't want to go up the mountain, Lord. I don't want to do this again. I don't want to listen and obey you. But what happens when I do follow God's prompting and leading? What happens when I do respond to that, that, that stick prodding me, directing me in the way that God has for me? I get things like spiritual adventures and intimacy with him. That's what he wants for us. There, it says in that passage, there you will be told all that you've been assigned to do. He has stories for us to live. He wants to literally partner with us. He has good works prepared in advance for us to do. And Paul understood this. As he grew in his faith, he, he led the church in the fear of the Lord. He took all of his good Jewish understanding under that Einstein rabbi, Gamaliel. And he reminded this young New Testament church what happens when we listen and obey and what happens when we don't. Because God's family up until that point had, a, had lots of chapters. In some of those chapters, they did exactly what they were supposed to do. And in some of those chapters, they didn't do anything that they were supposed to do. And we have very clear examples in our spiritual heritage of what happens when we do what God wants and blessings ensue and we don't do what God wants and consequences ensue. There's this, I was just reading recently about this valley. Don't worry, it's called Beth Shemesh in case that's interesting to you. But it's a valley in Israel that they were um, excavating. And when they excavate, they, they dig into these things called tells. They're like big, like T-E-L, big hills. And a tell is like layers of civilization, one on top of another, all the way. And it's, when they excavate it, they see like debris and artifacts from a certain time frame. And what was so heartbreaking, a couple of biblical stories happened there, the Samson and Delilah story, a story about the loss and recovery of the Ark of the Covenant. But what happened when they excavated this tell in Beth Shemesh is they found evidence of pig bone in almost every layer. And the reason that's heartbreaking is because God told his kids not to eat pigs. 
but that was little evidence left behind that his kids decided they were going to adopt the lifestyle of their pagan culture and compromise. In fact, the only layer that did not have pig bones is the layer that represented King Hezekiah, the famous Jewish king that turned God's kids back to the heart of God. And Paul knows these stories. These are part of our family lore. And once he understood Jesus was the Lord, he knew there is no wavering. We can't, we can't follow God and eat our bacon. Like, if we're going to follow God, we're going to do things the way that God wants. And I told you, I like word pictures. They, were, they call to mind spiritual truths that I can hold on to when my flesh is encouraging me to do what God tells me otherwise. And one of the pictures that come to my mind when I was learning about these pig bones, I, had told, I talked to you one time about the prophet Elijah. And the story that I'm going to tell you comes from 1 Kings 18, if you want to look it up later. Elijah's this fiery prophet, and he was talking to God's kids who weren't sure if they should listen and obey God or they should listen and adopt some of their pagan culture. And he, took, he built two altars, one representing the God of the Jews, their God, and one representing the God of the, t- of the, the time, the Baal God, which was actually like the, the God of money because he represented weather, which was crops, which was money. It's not that, not that different than the kind of gods we build altars to today. And he says to his kids, hey, this, this is what's going to happen. One of these gods is real, and he's going to pour down fire and light up the, the altar. And whichever one is real, that's the one you should follow. And then he further, like, you know, puts water on God's altar to make the stakes even higher. And here's what, literally what he says in 1 Kings 18. How long will you waver between these two? If, God, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And that word waver in Hebrew is paxa. It means to hop, to hesitate, to dance. That's the picture I want you to have in your brain. Because I'm telling you, in 2022, today, I can be guilty of thinking, I'm pretty sure this is the right path. I'm going to go this path. But man, I like the taste of bacon sometimes. So I'm going to hop or dance over here. And I'm just going to like maybe do a little bit of this over here. But then basically I'm going to be over here. But sometimes this is going to be attractive to me. But I mean, I like what's going on. Like that's hopping, wavering, dancing, hesitating. And Paul knew. He was telling the early church over and over again, don't dance between these two. Don't, don't kick against the goads. Don't try to resist God's path. He'll write later in Romans 6, obedience leads to righteousness. Just climb the mountain. I promise it's worth it. He'll be with you every single step. And before we get all judgy about those people with the Elijah story or all judgy about those people with the pig bones, here's what I was writing in my journal this week in real time. I was asking the Lord, oh, Lord, if someone were to later excavate the tell of my life, where would they find pig bones? Would they find them in my hard drive? Would they find them in my bank account, my wallet? Would they find them in my recycling bin? Like, where is it that I have evidence that I have gone off the path, that I have wavered and hopped and hesitated and danced? Can I, can I basically follow your way, but then dabble a little bit over here and still be all right? Paul will learn the answer to that question he asked him, who, who are you, Lord? He'll write later to Colossians. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn among all of the dead so that in him everything has its supremacy. He'll write letter after letter after letter to those New Testament churches urging them to obey him, to stay the path. 
Did Paul figure out the answer to his other, his second question, what shall I do? He does. He'll say, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit and work towards complete holiness because we fear God. He metabolized God's word and he was then utterly unleashed to listen and trust and obey. A couple of weeks ago, I was invited to speak at a conference. There are about 700 people at this conference, and the way you got a ticket to it is you had to have been a missionary for more than 30 years. So I was on stage like, listen, maybe this is how sports people would feel like at a Hall of Fame induction. Maybe this is like how artsy people would feel if they got invited to the Oscars. You are the coolest collection of people I could possibly think to have assembled in one room. The collective faithfulness of your testimonies, put deposits in my bank of testimonies and all the days I think, is this still worth it? And in the, every break, I was teaching there, but on every break I was like, like what have you seen? What have you, what have you learned? Like, what do you have for me? Like, I want it all. And this guy looked at me when I was asking him. He'd been behind the Iron Curtain for about 40 years. And I'm like, what do you have? And there was kind of an uncomfortable amount of silence. And then he said, it was a good fight. Oh, I wanted to bring that message to you all so bad today. It's a good fight. We're in a good fight. It's a good fight. It's worth it to climb the mountain. It's worth it to get rid of your pig bones. It's worth it to stop kicking against the goads. It's, it's worth it to listen and obey, to be faithful and available. This is a good fight. And Paul knew it. He later wrote to Timothy, his spiritual son, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. May that be true of us, church family. The world needs to hear the answers to our questions. Who are you, Lord? And what shall we do? And it's important for us to answer, answer those questions for ourselves. But you want to know what our holy assignment is? He's a great commissioner. He's told you to go out and tell people. you got to tell people who the Lord is to you. you got to put a deposit into their bank of testimonies of what God has done for you. You've Get up and go. Get up and give. Get up and sacrifice. Get up and forgive. Get up and do whatever it is that God has asked you to do. But get up and do it. This, this is the word he has been challenging me with all week. It's, it's worth it. It is a good fight. Would you stand with me as we close here? A couple of things I want to say in closing. If you're a prayer partner, you can go ahead and start making your way forward. As you know, these prayer partners are both gifted and called to intercede. During the next couple of worship songs, you're going to have a chance to talk to the Lord. Here's my encouragement to you. This is literally what I'm going to be doing here in worship. I'm going to be confessing my sin. I'm sorry about my pig bones. I'm sorry when I have been feisty and said no to you. I won't go up that mountain again. I'm going to confess my sins. There's no better way... Well, I don't know if that probably isn't the right way to say it, but take communion while you confess. The whole reason we can confess our sins and he'll be faithful and just and forgiveness of all our unrighteousness is because he died on the cross, which is what we remember when we take our communion. And then commit to him. Commit to him your life. Commit to him. I will listen and obey. Commit to him. You will stay on the path. Commit to him. You'll stop kicking against the goats. Commit to him. 
you'll have the chance during these two songs to come up and be prayed for, to take communion, to ask the Lord those two questions, who are you and what shall I do? Would you pray with me, Lord Jesus? (laughs) The answer to all the questions is yes. The posture of my heart is yes, yes, yes. Yes, I'll go up the mountain. Yes, I will go and tell. Yes, I will go and give. Yes, I will forgive. Yes, yes, your way is best. Yes, I'll stop kicking against the goats. Yes, 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 yes. No more dancing, no more hopping, no more wavering. Yes, I pick you. May that be the cry of our hearts as we worship him today. Lord Jesus, with the power and authority I have as a co-heir with you, together in the company of these saints, I ask you to release an anointing on this body. Come visit us in a special way in these moments. And I pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.
kept doing that. Oh my gosh, thank you all for being with us online and here on campus this weekend. I want to just say to you, the morning doesn't have to be over yet. If you came here and you wanted to be prayed for, there have been a team of people who've been praying all week, asking the Lord what might be some of the things he would want to do this weekend in the spirit, in the spiritual realm. And there'll be a slide that comes up behind me with some words that represent some of the things they heard while they were asking God to communicate with them about holy assignments he might have for any of us here today. If any of those words resonate with you, I encourage you to find a prayer partner up in the balcony or down here and make sure you don't leave before you get a chance to be prayed for. These folks want to do that. We are so grateful you could join us this week. We have a few more weeks of the Unleashed series. So join us next week as we continue on in the book of Acts. God bless you for being with us. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. To subscribe to our podcast or listen to other messages, go to vineyardcincinnati.com slash podcast.